Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning, all you happy people. How are we doing today? Welcome. We're so glad that you've joined us. Um, I didn't even ask her to do that. Just saying. Mitchell was a youth and said, hey, anyone that wants to do transitions? And a few people signed up, and she was one of them. I see an approval. I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess my daughter wants to go do that. Um, today is uh, Palm Sunday. Um, you see the palm trees? We like palm trees. Palm trees remind us of warm places. <laughs> um, and uh, I was joking at first service, like, is spring ever going to spring? Sprung? Is it ever going to get here? It was cold this morning. I was like, man, when's the hot weather coming? Uh, anyhow, um, this was kind of the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. They call it the triumphal entry. Uh, I've got a bunch of concepts floating around in here. They came out okay at first service. Let's see if it'll work out the same at second. In John 12, verses uh, 12 to 16, uh, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. And I mean, Jesus was kind of like an itinerant rabbi, prophet, traveling around Israel, healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil, raising the dead, casting out devils, confronting the religious leaders, walking on water, feeding thousands of people. You know, I, I, he, he, people were starting to get to know who this guy was. In, in his goodness. And uh, so a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And they shouted, praise God. Or another way they said that was, Hosanna. And we sang it earlier, Hosanna, Hosanna. And you know, essentially that kind of comes from God, save us. So God, save us, save us, God. We need your salvation. And if you think back to the Jewish people in the first century, they were under the Roman rule. They were under the Roman Empire, and the Romans were the overlords, and the Jewish people was subordinate to the Romans. And they wanted to be freed or liberated from the Roman overlords. Are we doing okay? Yeah. And, and even one of the disciples was a zealot. Why? They were the ones that were zealous, not only for the things of God, but they wanted to be free from the rule of Rome. And, and you saw these revolutions that would happen from time to time, and Rome would come in and crush them, and there was one about 100 years before the time of Christ. And Okay, the Maccabees, I think, was the name of that one. But they would sing, Hosanna, God save us now. And they were chanting, and then they started going on, and it says, Blessed blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the next thing they said. Literally, they were quoting Psalms 118.26. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So you've got these people that were in Jerusalem getting ready to celebrate the Passover, and they started coming out into the streets and taking palm branches, throwing them in the feet of Jesus, throwing their garments down, and they were saying, God, save us. We recognize you as the king. In today's message is the king has come. Why? Because Jesus, when he went into Jerusalem, the people recognized him as a king, although he wasn't going to be the type of king they thought he was going to be because they thought he was going to be the type of king that was going to overthrow the Romans. I'll get back to that in a few minutes. And then they said, hail to the king of Israel. 
inhale, a good definition for that is to acclaim or to approve enthusiastically. You know, when you're taking your garment and throwing it in the road and you're taking down branches and throwing their own before someone comes down, how many know that you're acclaiming them? You're enthusiastically accepting their kingship. I mean, when I was new to Canada, maybe it was the last time she came to Windsor, but I remember the queen came to Windsor. And we all got on buses from school and we went downtown and we stood at the side of the road for hours and all of a sudden the caravan went by and you saw the little for five seconds. And I remember looking at my friend going, that was it. (laughs) But when King Jesus came to planet Earth and when he comes into your life, he's there to stay and you get a little bit more than just a wave. But, you know, my brain, um, I joke with my wife all the time. I say, I'm a quirky nerd. (laughs) And I I, I process information just... So when I look at this, it kind of messes with my head a little bit because the only place I find the palm branches really is in like Leviticus 23, 40 when they're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles or in Nehemiah 8:15 when they weren't celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and they were supposed to. And these, these palm leaves or palm branches or these branches from the leafy trees like that, they were always used for celebration with the Jewish people. It was always in a time of celebration. And, and you got to remember the Feast of Tabernacles, it reminded the Jewish people of the time that they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And I think we talked about that a little while ago. But if you go back a few messages, somewhere in there, I was talking about how that little short journey that should have took 11 to 20 days took them like 40 years. How many of you have felt like that in life? <laughs> what should have took you 15 minutes took you 15 years. <laughs> and some of you are like, it doesn't look like I'm getting any closer. But what happens is it was, it was this festival of booths, festival, Feast of Tabernacle, and it was to celebrate that time when God made provision for them when they were in the wilderness. And, uh, okay, from there, I wanted to go into, like, if, if you think of the rabbis, what they used to teach about this, and, and at that time when they were in the wilderness, if you remember, Moses went up in the mountain to receive the law of God, and he was gone for a long time. Do you remember? I know we were all there, but we read it, right? He went up in the mountain. He was there for like 40 days and 40 nights, and there was thunder and lightning, and the people were like, oh, Moses is never coming back. So what did they do? Aaron, here's our gold. Make us an idol, and they made a golden calf. So the rabbis throughout history have always taught um, that calf was to Israel at that point kind of like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to Adam and Eve in the garden. And see, for Adam and Eve in the garden, they were told, you can eat of all the fruit of all the trees in the garden, except that one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and, you know, God's kids, humans, kind of like our kids. I mean, when you say don't, what do they normally do? I mean, how many of you, when, when you get told don't, you just do, and then you wish you didn't? <laughs> None of you? <laughs> so, but they teach that for the Jewish people, that calf was kind of like that tree of knowledge of good and evil. In both cases, it created separation from God's plan and design for their lives. For the Israelites, their idolatry cost them 40 years. 
And, you know, Jesus, God had to send Jesus the Redeemer to earth to redeem not just the nation of Israel, but all of mankind, uh, tying both stories in that through his sacrificial death as the Lamb of God. So we know Jesus came to earth and he came to serve humanity. He laid down his life. And, and the thing is, he was entering town for Passover, not for the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is where my brain goes, does not compute, because I don't understand why they were celebrating with palm leaves, which was something that was a later feast. That was one of the last feasts in their, in their normal calendar year. Passover was one of the earlier ones, and then this one was the last one. And our Tabernacles was the last one. So for me, it just made me start thinking about it a little bit. And I'm like, okay, what were they celebrating? Well, they acknowledged that he was the king. So it must have been something to do with the celebration that Jesus was the king and the people acknowledged him as the king. Except that the people at that time thought that he was going to be a natural king and he was going to overthrow the Romans. And when they were saying hail to the king, they were spitting in the face of Rome saying, this is the guy we want to recognize as our king, except there was one little problem with their plan. It wasn't Jesus' plan. Now, how many of you have ever seen a king going off to war? What does a king ride when he's going off into battle? A horse. What did Jesus ride when he came into Jerusalem? A donkey. Big difference between a donkey and a horse. We'll come back to that a little bit later, but I want you to understand something in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he's humble. Riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. But verse 10, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your kings will bring peace. Your king will bring peace to the nations. Jesus didn't come to go to war with Rome. Jesus came to make peace with all nations, for all humans on the planet. He came to make peace with us and God. So when the king has come, you need to understand something. He came to earth through a humble birth. And we've taught this at other times, but he was born in a manger. Most likely in the Tower of Bethlehem at the very place that the sacrificial lambs were bred and born that were used for the sacrifices in the temple. I find it amazing that Jesus was able to die probably to the second, but I'll say to the minute, that the sacrificial lambs would be uh, bled and, and the sacrifice would be made. He died on Passover as the Lamb of God. So Jesus came humbly to earth. He lived as a man, but he also came the first time as the Lamb of God. John 1, 29 talks about this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, if Jesus came as the Lamb of God at his first coming, he came to be a sacrifice for your sins. He came to be a sacrifice for my sins. And somehow God arranged the timeline of Jesus' crucifixion and death to align with the Passover sacrifice that Israel was celebrating at that time. I find that amazing. The people recognized him as king, but they didn't realize that his kingdom was not of this world, and it started in that day, and it's been expanding ever since. That's why you're here today, because you're here, because the kingdom of God is expanding. We're a long way from Jerusalem. 
I can think of a few places that are further away, but it's a long ways. It's not somewhere you're going to get to in five minutes, normally. And someone says, why normally? How do you get there in five minutes? Well, when God translates people, because he's done that before, they get where they're going pretty quick. That doesn't happen too often, though. I can think of maybe three cases that people got translated. There was Enoch, there was Elijah, and there was Philip. And then Jesus was able to like just kind of appear after the resurrection. But he kind of doesn't count. Okay. Now, Jesus came to earth as the Lamb of God. He died for the sins of humans at Passover. I don't even know if I finished my first text. Nope, I didn't. Jesus found a young donkey, rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. The king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, but after Jesus entered his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Okay, now I can jump back down here. Which leads me, if the king has come, the first question I have for you today and for me is, is Jesus welcome in our church? We say yes. If Jesus showed up and sat next to you, what would you do different? Would you worship different than you just did? Why, why would it be different if he was physically sitting next to you as opposed to him being present in the room anyways when the worshipers worship? If Jesus walked into the church today, would you sit in a different spot? Would you wear different clothing? Would you spend a little less time on your device doing other things besides listening? I mean, I'm working when I'm here. My team is, there's this little chat that goes on called Sunday Live Production, and we talk about stuff like, why are the words not working? Or what happened to that fan or the screen? Or, you know, some of us are working. But if you're not working... Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, how many times have I heard them, people talk about Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and he wants to come in, but that's not the context of Revelation 3. Revelation 3 is the letter to the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church was obviously not Jesus' favorite church. Because most of them had like some sort of encouragement or a challenge or something that they were doing right. Laodicea had nothing. They were the, they were the church that was self-righteous. They were the church that was stubborn. They were dull of hearing. They just didn't get it. They were lukewarm. One foot in the world, one foot in the church. And Jesus said, blah. You think I'm kidding? He said, I'm going to spew you. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, is his exact words. That's right. That's right. He doesn't care for lukewarm. Now, now here's what you got to catch with this, okay? Jesus is asking the church, will you let me in? Will you let him into your worship? Will you let him into your giving? Will you let him into your community? Will you let him into your outreach? Will you let him into your planning? Is Jesus welcome 
in your church. Remember, we are the church, so he has to be welcome in our life if he's welcome in our church. I'll come back to that in a second. There's this show. Um, I watched it a couple times. I don't watch it a lot. It's called Undercover Boss. So it's about how like the owner of the company or a high executive will take an entry-level position and start working with people kind of to test their processes and see how well their systems are set up. And they, they use it for a couple things. The people that do a really good job, they reward. The people that don't do so good, they coach. And then the people that are horrible and ignorant and shouldn't be there, they fire. <laughs> okay. But I think about that because... If Jesus walked into the room and he had a little sign in his head that says, I'm Jesus, you might respond to him accordingly, but I want to read a verse to you. Actually, several. Contextually, can you imagine if Jesus walks into our church, what would you do differently? Ready? Matthew 25, 35 to 40. And Jesus is talking and says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it Amen. to me. Amen. The context here, Jesus is talking about separating the sheep who know him from the goats who rebel against his authority. This is heaven and hell type stuff. This is a very serious conversation that Jesus is happening, but how many times do we judge people based on their social economic status? color of their skin, the clothes they wear, the way they speak. How, how, how often do we even judge people based on the fact that they're a Christian or not a Christian? You know, for me, I like to invite people to church who aren't in relationship with God. But when people who aren't in relationship with God walk into the church... Do you think they're going to act like you who are in the church do? No. Uh, actually, sadly. <laughs> but the reality is, if we're living like Christ, do you think a non-Christian, a non-Christ follower is going to act like Christians do? No. So you're telling me that sinners and saints don't act the same? Not in a lot of situations, they don't. How are we doing? <laughs> I'm smiling. <laughs> this is when I stop and say, I love you. <laughs> I'm just getting fired up though, wait. <laughs> so when I invite my non-church, non-Christian friends who don't know what to expect, don't know how to dress, don't know how to act, don't know how to speak the lingo. In fact, usually their lingo is not very sanctified. And they walk into the church and they meet the happy, smiley Christian people. How do you handle that? Are we able to 
embrace and love people no matter what they're walking through or walking out of? Are we able to make people feel welcome and loved? And are we able to lead them to Christ so that he can start changing their heart from the inside out so that they too can get into this process of becoming a Christ follower? So many times, I mean, how many of you forget what it was like before you knew Jesus? Some of you are so far away from that, you forget what it was like to not know some of the stuff that you take for granted now. Have you ever thought of yourself as better than someone else? Have you disobeyed the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Have you belittled someone? Listen, I, I, I try to live this. I do. There's times I don't, and it's sad. I shouldn't, but I, I try to live this way. Whether I'm in line at a coffee shop, I don't know why people wait in line for coffee. You can make it at home for half the price. It tastes better anyway. But, but, but what happens is, and the Holy Spirit says, pay for that person in front of you or behind you or over there. Oh, that can't be you, God. They look like they have more money than I do. Operative word, look like. Are you obedient in that moment? I mean, I was with a, a friend. We were sitting in a, a coffee shop having a conversation, playing catch up. <laughs> I do that sometimes, catch up with friends. And a lady came in who was clearly distraught. Now, when I say clearly distraught, I'm talking there was um, tears, there was quivering, there was erratic behavior. I, I wasn't sure what she was going to do, but she was kind of sitting over across from us. And the Holy Spirit said, just buy our coffee. And I remember going up to the, um, is it barista? Yeah. I went to the barista and said, hey, could you make a coffee for that lady? And just, I'll pay you in a minute when I'm going to leave. And uh, so she made a coffee for her and called her over and put her cream and coffee or whatever in it. And then we invited the lady over to our table and talked with her for a minute and prayed with her. You know, in the moment, I can't solve all of her life's problems. It took her many years to get into the mess she was in. I can't wave a magic wand and make it go away. But I know someone who can help her through the process. Right? So she agreed. We prayed with her. We tried to encourage her a little bit, you know. Um, but, but what happens is, and I'm not saying yay is me, I'm saying you better listen to the Holy Spirit because you never know who needs to hear the message that you have and the things that the Holy Spirit has quickened to you. If you're obedient to share that with others in the moment, you'll be amazed at the response you get. Amazed. We try to live this way all of the time. You should be living this way all the time. That might mean when you come in next Sunday, the Holy Spirit might tell you you can't sit in the seat you always sit in. You know the one that you engraved your name in? Listen, I've been around a long time in churches. I'm pushing 50 and I got saved when I was eight. That's 42 years. That's longer than some of you have been alive, but that's longer than some of you have been a Christian. 42 years I've been serving Jesus now. I have been cursed at by people that know Jesus longer than me because I asked them to change chairs. <laughs> but if Jesus walked into the room and said, would you move chairs? Would you move chairs? <laughs> it cracks me up. It's been a long time since I've been cursed at. We're a little more sanctified now as a church. 
But there's, there's, there's balance. Like, I have many friends who struggle with many types of addictions. Okay? Drugs and alcohol are two types, but there's many other addictions that people struggle with. Okay? Some people are addicted to themselves. That's the toughest ones to deal with. Um, however, um, you know, I was walking with one of my daughters downtown, um, and, and um, a guy came up and asked, he said, hey, I'm hungry, can I have some food? I said, sure. There's 10 restaurants and a hot dog stand. Tell me where you want to eat, I'll buy you lunch. Whatever you want, I don't care. We had a conversation. And then he started getting aggressive and belligerent, and it went from um, nice words to words that I didn't really appreciate. It got pretty colorful. I just want the money with a lot of other um, adjectives. And I remember I said to my daughter, you walk ahead for a second. I'm going to have a talk with this guy. I said, I'll tell you what, bro. I am happy to support you in your healing or your hunger, but I am not willing to support your habit because I don't think I'm helping you. Okay? And he got angry with me and he walked away. But see, what happens is everybody has a different take on that, even in the church, and this is why I'm bringing up that particular story. Uh, Peter Pretorius, when he was alive, and Anne, we were talking one day about this kind of a concept, right? And Anne was like <laughs> sharing how Peter, anyone can walk up to him and say, I'm hungry. He goes, here, you go have money. And, and he just gives him money. And she's like, but Peter, they're not going to go buy food with He goes, that's between them and God. I just did my part. And she's like, but Peter, you have to be wise. You're not helping them. <laughs> and you know what? Wherever you sit on the spectrum, I don't care. What I want you to learn to do is listen to the Holy Spirit who says, I would like you to do this in the moment and then live according to how the Holy Spirit tells you to live. Now, that leads me to, has Jesus come into your life? Because as I said a few weeks ago, when Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't come into your life to sit in the back corner. He comes in your life to sit on the throne of your heart and to take over. And here's the catch. You see, people say, oh, Jesus is on the throne of my heart. Well, if he's on the throne of your heart, are you obeying him? Because he can't be on the throne as the king if you're not obeying him as the king. You don't get to disobey the king. You can, but there's consequence. And see, this is what we got we to gotta get to this place. Because if the king is on the throne in your heart, he's interested in the things that you watch. He's interested in the things that you listen to. He's interested in the things that you read and the conversations that you have and the places that you go. We doing okay? And see, if the king's on the throne of your heart, my gut read is there is some things that you would do very differently. If Jesus was standing next to you, would you still watch this? Would you still send this text? Would you still go to this location and do those things? But if he's on the throne of your heart, that shouldn't even be a question. Because if you're fully submitted to him, if you're trying to serve him with all of your heart and you understand that he is your Lord as you call him, not just your savior, your fire insurance. And I was, I was like, God, how do I illustrate has Jesus come into 
your life. And he showed me this verse, and, and, and it actually makes a lot of sense to me. Mark 6, 45 to 52. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, so sometime later, they were in the boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land and he saw that they were in serious trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been to that lake that he's talking about, it's, it's a big lake. Like, I, he knew. I don't know that he saw. He knew. Okay. They were rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves about three o'clock in the morning. It's also pretty dark at three in the morning in most places, especially in Israel. Okay. And then it says, Jesus came toward them walking on the water and he intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror thinking it was a ghost. They were terrified when they saw him. I find that interesting. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I'm here. Then he climbed in the boat. The wind stopped and they were totally amazed for they didn't, still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. This is the people that Jesus walked with and talked with and lived with and they still didn't get it. Okay. But your life, there's going to be some calm seasons and there's going to be some storms. And some of you are like, there's a lot more storms than calm seasons. It's always storms. Well, sometimes it's like that. And sometimes you're awake in the middle of the night. It's always in the middle of the night, isn't it? Three o'clock in the morning. Ah! Your mind is going crazy. You're crying out for help that never seems to arrive. It's in those moments you need to look to the king walking on the water and it can be terrifying when you can counter the one who the wind and waves obey. But if you listen to what he has to say, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, be not afraid. Do not fear. It's going to be okay. Are you understanding? So my thought is, when the storm is going on all around you and you're feeling battered by the waves, and some people have been battered by the waves over the last season of their life, we need to look to the king who calms the storm. And you know what? You come to a place of peace no matter what's going on around you. But see, when Jesus is with you, when he is present in your life, when he is your ever-present help, that's the only way you're going to access his peace and his power. But see, if you don't recognize him as the king, if he's not on the throne of your heart because you have your own agenda, your own ideas, your own system, and he's in back seat, not first seat, you may not find the peace that you're looking for. And there's struggle. You'll be frustrated. Now, when I'm talking about the king has come, some people are seeking the king. Remember the wise men in the Bible, they came from the east. They were seeking the newborn king of the Jews. And they went to another king. And he was a king that people were afraid of. That was Herod. And Herod, after 40 years in office, I mean, he killed everyone that got in his He killed his own sons. I think they used to joke about it being safer to be one of his servants than one of his sons. He killed his wife. He wiped out all the boys in Bethlehem under the age of two. This is Herod. He feared all competition for his throne, and he even wiped out entire villages. 
of children. Who does that? A paranoid guy who's trying to hold on to power, who's very afraid. Some people reject the king. The religious leaders, when Jesus was here on earth, they rejected him and they wanted him crucified. They wanted him dead. They did not accept the Messiah when he came and appeared himself to them. And you know, the funny thing is, they were all scholars. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament prophecies that pointed to him being born in Bethlehem and him being the son of David. And they knew the forerunner anointing that was going to come forth with John. And they knew that the Spirit of God, and they still rejected him as king. Wow. Blinded by their own quest for power. Some people don't know about the king. And the truth is, shame on us if people don't know about King Jesus. We have technology, we have tools, and we have a voice. Everyone in your circle should know about the king. They need to know about the king. And if they don't, why aren't you using your voice? Why aren't you telling them about the king? The king is among us. And then some people, they ignore the king. And for the ones who ignore the king, when they're presented that the king is in the room and they don't want to listen to what he has to say and they don't want to submit to his lordship, I don't think them it's going to end them like they think them it should end them. <laughs> It's not going to go how they think it should. Which leads us to this place inside of our lives where is the, do we let the king into our heart? Is Jesus on the throne in my heart? Is Jesus welcome in our church? Well, are you surrendered to him? Because your obedience is a direct reflection of your surrender. If you acknowledge his lordship, then you will obey him in everything. Not just in the things you like. I think it was Rick Warren said, you only believe the parts of the Bible that you obey. The parts of the Bible that you overlook and sweep under the rug and hope that the preacher doesn't mention. But I like having this pet sin, God. You can't have that part of my heart. You can't have that part of my life, this secret thing that I do. God wants all your heart. He's a good king. Now, here's a thought. Is serving Christ an inconvenience to you? Does it mess with your plans, your timeline, your goals? I mean, hey, showing up at church, I was, I was, was talking with Shannon before service, right? And you've got Aiden over here on the guitar keyboard singing, and Bryn over here playing the guitar and, and singing, and Scott's at the back holding down the bass, and Kieran's on the screen with Mitchell. I said, Shannon, I didn't see you up there. She said, I was serving in kids' church. I said, awesome. I think she gets the greatest reward of all of them. <laughs> Do you see? They're all being obedient to God based on what he asked them to do with the gift that he's given them. Shannon, like me, we're not going to sing anytime soon. <laughs> do, you see, do you see how this works? You take the gift God's placed inside of your heart and you activate it in the direction that he's asking you to go Amen. in obedience. 
Christ is going to come again. But when he comes the second time, he's coming as the lion. The first time he came as a lamb. The next time he's coming as a lion. Revelation 5.5. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He's worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Let's recap. Our king was born humbly in a manger. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey, humbly, humility. He brought peace to planet Earth. When he returns to planet Earth, he will be on a white horse leading the armies of heaven. Revelation 19 talks about this. He's going to come on a war horse. He's going to come to set things straight. And he's going to come in judgment and power and authority. And I'm going to tell you what, everyone's going to tremble before him when he comes. It says they're going to see the sign of his coming in the sky. And it says the people on the earth are going to quail. They're going to be terrified because the king is returning. And they haven't been very good citizens or loyal subjects in his kingdom. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. And after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation, tribe, and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. What's a great roar? Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. They were shouting salvation. Glory to the God. Hail to the king. Are you catching this? They were shouting. It's a reason to celebrate the king is coming. And the ultimate victory of the lamb is when he's going to return and set up his kingdom physically here on earth, kind of like the Jewish people hoped he would do in the first century. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. And I think you should stand with me before I tell you the truth. The reason that he delays his coming back to planet Earth is because he wants to give every person on the planet an opportunity to repent of their sin and give their life to him. The only way to get in the kingdom is through repentance. Your arrogance will get you nowhere. Your pride will not help you. Your logic will not help you. The only thing that will help you is repentance and accepting the sacrifice he made. That's how we get into the kingdom. And once we're in the kingdom, then we become sons and daughters, and then we become obedient. And then through obedience, we learn to obey him at great cost to our personal agenda. What? Wait. What do you mean? It costs you your life, but you gain everything. But what is there in this life that you have any value with anyways? This life is but a vapor. It's gone in a moment. We're going to go to communion. But as I'm talking through communion, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never repented of your sin, you've never given your life to King Jesus, I'd like you to be brave and bold and walk down to the front, and I'm going to pray with you as soon as we're done communion. And I'm going to introduce you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. So while we're, while we're talking, feel free to come down here if you need to give your life to Christ. So Father, as we have the bread in our hands, I thank you that in your brokenness you made a way for us to be whole. Father, I thank you that you're speaking to hearts all over this room right now.
about obedience, about following your commands, about listening to the things that you've instructed us to do. Help us, Father. Lord, we celebrate your victory every day and we celebrate by dancing on the head of our enemies. Satan is defeated. But Lord, as we release forgiveness, we receive forgiveness. As we surrender anxiety and fear, we receive peace and love. I thank you that your joy overwhelming is in your people and I declare health and wholeness over every individual listening today. Father, I thank you for the power that was released at the cross for healing. Mind, body, and spirit, you restore us to wholeness now. In Jesus' name. In the blood of the new covenant, Jesus knew he was going to be the sacrificial lamb for the sins of all mankind. And he came in humbly. But he also, right before he came into the town, he wept over the city. Because he saw the hardness of heart. People that weren't willing to respond to his sacrifice and to his love. My hope today is that you would not harden your heart when you hear the truth about Christ. My hope is that you would surrender yourself, fall into his love. It's the only place you'll ever be safe. Father, I thank you for the cup, the blood of the new covenant. It's powerful. I thank you that you freed us from the curse, you freed us from the power of hell, and that your kingdom is here, starting in our lives, in our own hearts, in our community, together as a body of believers. Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus. I thank you that we don't have to be ashamed or afraid, but that we can boldly declare your goodness, your kindness, your love, and your mercy to so many people that need it. Help us today, God, because we need you more than ever. In Jesus' name. WCF, you've been equipped. Go be the church.